This morning, we will be continuing our study in 1 Timothy. We will be starting in verse 12 of chapter 4, where we left off last time, and we will hopefully get well into chapter 5. Um, it is my understanding that the Cowboys play at 12, and we might, <laughs> we might get out before then, have you back in time. Verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the, word, in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So finishing up chapter 4 right here, uh, back to verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Uh, Example here can be read as pattern. Uh, Paul is exhorting Timothy to make this example, make himself the example to everyone else in the church. You see, he's saying functionally that Timothy's age is not what gives him authority. It's his character. Um, And as we look at this, we understand that Timothy is a younger guy. Um, He actually would have been about 30, in his 30s. Um, And at this time, you weren't considered mature, quote-unquote, until you were about 40. Uh, So that's when the maturity would really set in in these guys' eyes. So Paul is exhorting Timothy as a younger person leading the church, uh, don't just talk to people. You know, be an example. Be the pattern that they should follow after. Um, And this is what gives you authority. So authority is granted by character, not by age. He says, be an example to the believers in word. Now, of course, we can't just talk about things. We shouldn't just be a talkie-talkie. We should be a walkie-talkie, right? So in, in saying these things, we also have to live them out. He says, in word and in conduct. You see, and it's not just what you say to people. Um, That is important, but equally as important or maybe more important is how you say it. Okay. So uh, Summer and I found this recipe in one of our new recipe books for teriyaki chicken. Uh, And we went to the store, we got everything we needed, the ginger, the crushed red pepper, blah, 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 blah. It called for chicken thighs with the skin on them. Oh, we got chicken thighs without the skin on them. And I don't even remember why we just, we did. Uh, So we came home, we cooked it and it was great. So we decided to have it again a couple nights later. Summer went back to the store and she came back with chicken wings and I was a little bit confused. Uh, So I was putting the groceries away, grabbed the chicken wings out, was putting them in the fridge. I looked back at her and said, did you decide to get chicken wings? And it just, genuinely confused because I wasn't sure what was going on. 
Anyways, she took that fairly well. So, and no, I'm being serious. She took it fairly well, uh, took it in stride. And she was like, oh, oh, those are wings. I'm so sorry. I just saw skin on them and I bought them. And, but look, it was how I said it. I was inquisitive. Did you decide to get chicken wings? Like, is that, is that what we decided here? Um, What if I had said, did you decide to get chicken wings? Then how would she have received that? Not well, I promise. (laughs) It would not have been good for me. Uh, But that's the idea. We, we need to say the right things, but we also need to say them in the right way. Uh, and I'm sure all of you husbands have had similar experiences, uh, the good and the bad. No, Greg has never had that experience. <laughs> Anyways, uh, be an example in your word, in your speech, how you say things and what you say. In conduct, of course, we need to be examples to others, not only in word, but in deed. Uh, we should be walkie-talkies and not just talkie-talkies. Um, he says, in love. Now, what is agape besides the only Greek word that a lot of us know? Agape, it's a self-sacrificial love. Um, it is a Greek word for love, but it's very specific. It's the way that God loved us to send his son for us. Um, It is expecting nothing in return, and uh, it is a self-sacrificial love. So this is how we should demonstrate to other believers the love of Christ. In spirit. Now, we've all seen those, those dogs that you can tell are just like really nice and just really grouchy. My sister has a bulldog named Ruby. And Ruby could rip me to shreds if she wanted to. She's very stout, bulldog. Like, I mean, she could be scary if she tried to be. Luckily for me and for Chaney, Ruby is a very sweet dog. She has a very kind spirit. She'll come up to her and Summer doesn't like her very much because she licks her legs so much. She'll just walk up to you and act like you're her best friend. Um, and that's a, a kind-spirited dog. Chaney has a dog as well. <laughs> Chaney's dog is named Cooper, and it's a little dude. He's a little chi-chi. It's a cross between a Chinese crested and a chihuahua. And he is not so kind-spirited. Um, I think his chihuahua side is coming out later on in life. But <laughs> he's snipped at me a couple of times and drawn blood. And Chaney too, I think. But These two dogs uh, kind of represent two types of people we see. You see the people who have grown old and kind of curmudgeonly. Um, You see those people that have not walked with the Lord. And that's kind of like Cooper. Uh, You just see the spirit in them, and they're just grouchy at the world, right? And then you see these, these older people who have walked with the Lord for their whole lives. And there's just a calming presence about them. Uh, You know that they're seasoned, that they've been through a lot, but the Lord has guided them along the way. And there's this calm spirit in them. Uh, They're pleasant to be around. And that's kind of this idea of in spirit. Now, your translation may have omitted in spirit, just that little phrase. 
Um, it's not in some of the manuscripts, but in the New King James, it is included. Uh, he says, in spirit, in faith. Of course, faith um, is paramount to our faith. Uh, that is, that is the, the main thing that we kind of focus on in the church, is having this faith in Christ. Uh, so, as a leader in the church, our faith has to be good. And we know from James that faith comes with works. So if your faith is active, uh, it should be producing these works in purity. Now, it's so, so special uh, for young men, especially these days, to remain pure, and ladies too. Uh, but there's something really special about men who come together who remain pure. And there's this certain fellowship, um, and I've gotten to share that fellowship with several of my friends, and um, there is something different about it than uh, a friendship with someone who's living in the world. Um, It's just, it's a common language that you speak. Uh, You understand each other, and there is truly a special bond there. Um, But Timothy, of course, as a young man in the church and as an example to other believers, uh, Paul is saying, look, man, you need, to, you need to keep yourself pure. Be an example in purity. And this is very important for him. Um, in this day, Timothy was living in Ephesus, and you really didn't need to watch porn in Ephesus because you could live it. The temple of Diana was filled with these prostitutes, the temple prostitutes. And it was culturally acceptable to go to the temple and get yourself a prostitute. That's how they worshiped their goddess Diana, Diana of the Ephesians. Um, So it was very prevalent in, in the biblical time that we're talking about. And we think today that it's bad and it is bad. Uh, There's, there's no skirting around that issue. Uh, the pornography epidemic, uh, everything, it's gotten bad. But it was also bad back, back then. Um, and it was bad in different ways. Um, so Paul is just saying to Timothy, if you expect to lead people who are twice your age, uh, you're going to have to keep yourself pure. That's your ticket to any kind of authority. It's your character. Um, along with some other things that he lists out here. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So Paul is giving Timothy now these three non-negotiables for him to focus on until he returns to Ephesus, until Paul comes back to Ephesus. He says, give attention to reading. Now, The public reading of the scripture was a common practice in the synagogues um, and in the early church. They would gather together and they would simply read through the scriptures. And that was an awesome practice. And even today, we should still be gathering together, reading the scriptures. Um, That is um, a wonderful function of the church, just having people together, um, diving into God's word. And... If you move somewhere and you leave this church, 
find a church that reads the word of God. Uh, That is so paramount to the Christian walk. Um, We have to be in the word. And I don't care if it's a Calvary Chapel, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. I don't care what it is. Um, If they open the word and they stay true to the doctrine that was once and for all delivered to the saints, that's wonderful. And uh, we need to have that reading of the scripture. Think about, too, where you would be at the end of your life if you started today devoting 30 minutes a day to reading the scripture. Where would that put you when you were nearing the end? You'd be a treasure. There would be so much hidden in your heart. You would be priceless. Um, And no doubt you would be effective at helping the younger Christians come up. The second thing he says to give attention to, and I want to add also that um, these are non-negotiables. This is what Paul is saying. You need to be continually giving your attention to these things. It's each one of these things. Um, In fact, uh, Paul is listing several imperatives from verse 11 through 16. He's saying, and you don't really get the the tenses very well with our English translation, but he's saying, dude, you need to turn your attention to these things and keep pressing into these things. These are things that you must be paying attention to. You must be doing and continually doing. He says, till I come, give attention. So keep giving attention, press into these things, to reading, to exhortation is our next one. Um, So we've read what the scripture says. Now we are encouraging people to live by it. We're exhorting them. We're applying what we've read. Then he says to doctrine. Now this is simply teaching. Um, The teaching of the word. Instruct them, Timothy, so that they understand what the scripture says. So... The scripture has to be read publicly, then applied, and then taught and expounded on. Verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, each one of us has a special set of spiritual gifts, and we need those gifts. And as a church, we need everybody to be using their gifts to their fullest capacity. Um, And we shouldn't be trying to trade gifts. Like, hey, Summer, I'll give you teaching if you'll give me hospitality. Like, it it doesn't work that way, right? Um, It's not a, a deck of cards. You can't go around trading them. But if each one steps into his spiritual gift fully, then the church is a wonderful functioning body. Um, And it, it says, given to you. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy. That phrase given to you is passive. Uh, Paul is saying, Timothy, there's nothing in you that deserved this gift. It was bestowed upon you. It was granted to you. You didn't have anything to do with it, really. And then he says, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, when the elders 
laid their hands on Timothy, they were not granting him spiritual gifts. What they were doing is simply affirming and recognizing the gifts that God had already granted Timothy. Okay, so it's not through the elders that any person gains spiritual gifts. Um, It is only by God who grants those gifts. But with the laying on of hands, you are saying publicly, this guy has been gifted by God and his gifts are recognized by us. And uh, we want to encourage him along the way. Uh, So that is what we're talking about here with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. 15, meditate on these things. Now, what is he saying to meditate on? What things? Really, you can take your pick here. Um, All of the things that Paul has talked about up to this point, we've got preaching sound doctrine, uh, being a spiritual gym rat, which we talked about last week, uh, being an example to those in the church in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity, and devoting attention to reading the scripture, exhortation and doctrine, using your individual gifts for God's glory. These are all things that he's talked about. And these are the things that he's saying, meditate on. Meditate on these things. Uh, Think about these things. Let them soak in. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. I think it is interesting that he, he says that your progress may be evident to all. Uh, This word here, progress, is a military word, and we've seen some military language used by Paul earlier in the book, um, and we'll see more this morning, Uh, just like we have seen charge used. Uh, Timothy has charged, um, I'm sorry, Paul has charged Timothy to do many things in this book, and Timothy is to charge the elders of the church to do certain things. Uh, charge is like giving an order. You charge someone to do something. Well, that's a military word. And then we come to progress. Uh, Progress is used to speak of an advancement of an army. Okay, it's like an army is progressing through their campaign. They're conquering more and more as they progress. Now, Paul desires that Timothy's progress or his advancement would be seen by all. And he says that here, that your progress may be evident to all. Now, this is interesting to me, and I think that, and this is kind of my speculation here, but I think why he's saying this is that progress or advancement on the part of a leader is very moralizing. Um, People love to see that. It gets people excited, and it's just simply encouraging. If you see a leader doing well, progressing or advancing, that, that gets you behind them. Like You're excited to be a part of what they're, they're talking about. 16, he says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. So take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That really sums up what he said in verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Um, 
here in 16, he sums it up again, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Now, when he says take heed to yourself, he's saying observe or attend to yourself. He's saying keep yourself in check. If you can't keep yourself in check, you can't keep everyone else in the church in check. Um, You have to attend to yourself. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. You have to constantly be keeping an eye on what you're teaching. Because what you're teaching goes out into the people, and that um, is affecting how they live. Uh, it's It's a heavy burden on anyone that takes the pulpit or teaches in any way. In Sunday school, uh, the, the little kids, you are teaching them things that they will grow up and those things will be in their lives. Uh, so we need to take heed to the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Continue in them, Timothy. Just keep doing these things, press into them and don't start slacking off when it gets hard. Uh, It's an important duty, and press into these things. For in doing this, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, teaching that is true to the gospel is effectual for saving souls. But James 5.20 says that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is not that the pastor actually provides salvation for someone. Of course not. Only Jesus provides our salvation. But the pastor can point someone towards Jesus. Um, And in doing that, he is doing his part to save that soul. Um, He is carrying out the work that God has for him. So while pointing others to Jesus, the pastor can also become more sure of his salvation. If you're pointing other people to salvation, that would tend to make me think that you're saved as well, right? Um, And assurance of our own salvation really is a funny thing. I am very sure of my salvation, but I want to be more sure tomorrow. And I can assure you that if I was finding myself on my deathbed, and I was counting down the days or the hours or minutes that I had left on this world before I met my creator, um, I would need all the assurance I could get, right? So we can be sure, but we're always pressing towards a greater level of assurance. Um, And that goes for me, and I'm sure that it goes for you as well. So breaking into chapter 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Now, some translations, uh, you may see the word elder used in verse 1 when I read an older man. It is the same word that's used for elders in the church the office of an elder. Uh, But Paul is actually talking about a a more general older man here. 
Um, He's not talking specifically about the elders in the church, but someone who is older than Timothy. We are, we're really to treat the older men in the church as fathers. Okay. And we have it right here. Uh, Not rebuking them harshly, but exhorting or encouraging them to stay true to the faith. Now, the word rebuke here means literally to strike upon. Of course, we're not going around whacking our our older guys in the church. That would not be very nice of us. Um, But the idea is to strike upon them verbally. Okay, so a harsh rebuke, a, a chastising of the older men in the church. That is not how we are to relate to them. Okay, but rather relate to them as fathers, exhort them. This word exhort is parakleo. Um, This should sound fairly familiar to you. It's the same word that is used to speak of the Holy Spirit as comforter and to Jesus as an advocate for us. It's to say really that we should come alongside these guys. So if an older man is struggling, is falling back. Um, As a younger man, I would come alongside them as a father and really encourage them. And that's what we are really to do, um, encourage them. Now, there is correction in this. Uh, It's not saying to let them go as they are falling away from the Lord. That's not what we're seeing. Um, but love them as a father, correct them gently, um, push them back into the faith. Now, uh, if any of y'all have had a younger guy criticize you harshly, you know that it doesn't sit well with you. Um, It kind of stings a little bit, and maybe there's a little bit of resentment there. Um, But if you comfort, encourage um, an older guy, in this way that's being prescribed in scripture, um, it actually has the potential to, to bring a little bit of mutual respect into that relationship. Um, there is some respect to be had there. He says, younger men as brothers. I have a brother, Cheney. Um, and I promise you, I do not treat him the same way I treat my father. So there is a difference in treatment there. So we got um, a new board game not long ago, probably a week or two ago. It's called Monopoly Cheaters Edition. Okay, and as you can expect, y'all played that? It's interesting. It's very interesting. There are some rule changes from regular Monopoly, which allows certain cheats. Okay, Cheney is the master of cheating. (laughs) And I mean that in in the best way possible. Um, So Chaney and I were playing with Summer, and uh, we got to kind of going back and forth. We kind of got at it. I call it arbitrating. Summer called it arguing. But um, there was a little bit of button heads in this board game. Um, And that is how I treat my brother, right? We kind of get a good one at each other every once in a while. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily do that with my father, right? And so this is the same way with our spiritual brothers and spiritual fathers. Uh, we can 
kind of joke with with our brothers, you know. But in the end, um, I'd do anything for him, and I would hope that he'd do anything for me. Um, like pick him up when he realizes that his car is in the shop and it's 10 minutes until service starts. That's why I was coming in right on time. Um, so that that is a brotherly love though, okay? So there's a little bit of, of knuckle busting, and, uh, but in the end, you, you have each other's best interests in mind. Um, and with a brother in Christ, someone who's younger than me, I can just say very plainly like, hey man, you gotta get it together. Um, this is really hurting your testimony. You need to get back on track. Okay, and this is the idea that we're talking about here. Paul says, older women as mothers. So much in the same way that we respect older men as fathers, we respect the older ladies in the church as mothers. Um, And although those roles are similar, I do even treat my mother differently than my father. And there is a certain level of respect that she commands. Um, I would say even above my father. So we have that as well. Younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, I don't know about you all, if you all have sisters and brothers, I don't treat even my sister the same way as my brother. If I did that, oh boy, Janie knows, Summer knows, oh man, but I love my sister, but she takes things differently than my brother. Um, I'll greet Chaney with a a punch and, hey, ugly, what's up? A female would not take that as the same way that Chaney would, would they? If I greeted Summer, hey, fatty, how's it going? She would not like that, no. So sisters are even different than brothers, right? So he says, younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, it's a very sobering realization when you realize that you're dating your sister. I'll clarify. (laughs) Men in the church, if you are dating someone, you are dating your sister in Christ. And you should treat her as such. Dating, engaged, all the way up until you're married. Um, If you do anything with her that you wouldn't do with your physical sister, that is spiritual incest, okay? And I know these are harsh terms. That's how it is. Uh, She is blood-bought with the same blood that you are blood-bought with. She is your sister in Christ, and you treat her as such with all purity, okay? That is what we have from Paul. Younger women as sisters with all purity. Verse three, honor widows who are really widows. Interesting. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
some pretty intense words from Paul here. Um, I want to call your attention to Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Give me just a second to pull that up myself. Luke 7, verses 11 through 15. It says, Now it happened the day after that he, being Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who is dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Jesus came across a widow who had just lost her son. It says that they were carrying her dead son out of the city. Jesus, it says, he had compassion on her and said to her, Jesus cares for the widows, for the fatherless, uh, immensely. And we see this in Old Testament law, and we see this here in the New Testament as well. Um, God has a soft spot for those who end up in circumstances that they can't control. The widows, the fatherless, um, he cares for them. Now, do you think that this issue of widows was important to Paul? I think that it was. He sure devotes a lot of time writing to this issue. Um, and it would make sense if you think about his life before conversion. Saul made many Christian widows himself. I think that this issue was very dear to his heart. Um, and he does speak <laughs> harshly against young widows that we'll see in a second. Um, but I think there is a soft spot in Paul for these widows. Um, and that's why he devotes so much attention to them. And back here in our, our text this morning, First Timothy, um, he says, But if, anyone, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. There was a tradition that the Jews held to that would allow children to kind of pawn off the care of their parents to the temple. Okay, the, the kids hopefully would be saving up for their parents' retirement. Um, anything that the parents had for their retirement, along with the kids' savings, could go to the temple, and the temple would take over care of these parents. Okay. And uh, this was rebuked harshly by Jesus. Um, he said something along the lines of, like, you're ridiculous. Um, you think you can just pawn these guys off? No, 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 no. God said to honor your parents. Um, honor 
your parents, not by pawning them off to the temple to take care of, but you take care of them. That's how you honor them. Um, Your parents have put so much into you, uh, so much time, effort, money into you, that surely you can repay them for some of what they've done for you. And this is what we see here in in verse 4. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For This is good and acceptable before God. Don't just pawn them off. Uh, that, that law of Corbin, that tradition that we just talked about, um, that was a law of man, not a law of God. Um, the, the priests kind of, you know, they were putting that money in their pockets. Uh, it wasn't something of God. But God desires that the kids take care of their parents. So here, if the widow has children left, Um, or any family members, those children or family members should take care of the widow before the church has to. That's what he's saying. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. If you have no one that you can depend on to bring home the bacon, I would be praying a lot too. Um, I would be giving myself to prayer. Uh, because what else do you have to hope in? Uh, if everything that you can hope in in the world is taken away, yeah, I think we would all be be giving ourselves to prayer more than we do now. Um, and we're we're very comfortable and we're very blessed to live the way that we do. But I do think that that takes our mind off of the fact that God should be our provision. We shouldn't trust in money. We shouldn't trust in uh, McDonald's down the street. Where if I'm hungry, oh, I can whip in the McDonald's drive-through, give me a sausage biscuit for a dollar. You know, that should not be our source of hope, our source of comfort. Our comfort should rest in Christ. Um, now he says, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Now, what does that mean? It's simply saying that if a young widow, in this, in this case, turns to pleasure or wantonness, she's already dead. That's no way to live, truly live, to be given to pleasure. And these things command that they may be blameless. Um, and we've, I haven't mentioned it every time, but like I said, these are uh, imperatives that Paul is giving. And these things command. Uh, You must be commanding these things and keep commanding these things that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now he's talking specifically um, about those who do not care for the widows and their family says they are worse than an unbeliever. Wow. That's not saying that they're not saved. If they're a believer, they're saved. Um, It's saying that, man, that's really not a good testimony. Uh, You are not living for anything greater than an unbeliever is. Okay, There's there's not that distinct difference in the way you live um, from an unbeliever. 
Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Now, the average life expectancy of a woman in Greece at this time was about 36, give or take. It's not very old. That is, if you made it past childbirth, which about a third of women did not make it past childbirth at this time. Another thing we take for granted is the health care that we have. Women don't have to worry about that as much as they did in this day. Um, so if you made it past childbirth, two-thirds of women would, and you made it past the average life expectancy, almost doubled it, then you could be taken into the number of widows that the church was providing for. 60 years old would have been very old, very rare to have someone live that long. And the idea is just that you want these people who are being taken care of by the church to really need that. You don't want someone to come off the street, come into the church, say, hey, I need to be supported. Will you guys support me? Um, That is not what Paul is wanting for this church. Now, he gives some other stipulations uh, for the women to be taken into the number of widows um, that we will go through in just a second. This word number is also used as a military term. It's talking about an enrollment, uh, like in modern times, we would call it a draft, a military draft. Uh, You don't want these women to be taken into the enrollment, into the draft of widows. Now, he also says, um, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. She has to be a one-man kind of woman. Uh, similar to uh, the requirement for leadership in the church. The leader in the church has to be a one-woman kind of man. These widows, to be supported by the church, must be a one-man kind of woman. Well-reported for good works. And he goes into these specific good works. Uh, He says, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, She had to be hospitable. Um, There had to be a record of this. Um, As put in other scriptures, she used hospitality. And that is a good thing always. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, um, and that could be taken literally. Of course, they did wash each other's feet. um, Or just saying that she put others above herself, if she had that type of attitude, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. These are the harsh words that I was talking about towards the younger widows, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. 
for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Very interesting uh, piece of scripture here. Back in verse 11, he says, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Look, Paul is trying to avoid a specific scenario here. Okay, He is seeing these young widows make a pledge to Christ. Christ, I am going to live for you. I am not going to marry again. Um, I am giving myself fully to you in service. What happens when they grow a little bit older? That desire to marry comes back. And Paul is saying here, refuse the younger widows from being taken into the number, from being taken in and supported by the church, because there will grow a time when those desires for a husband come back to them. Um, And you don't want their conscience to be marred if they desire to remarry. So don't take them in as widows, but encourage them to get remarried. And that'll take care of that. When they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So if they vow to Christ that they are not going to get married, then they get married. They're going to have something on their conscience. Uh, That is going to weigh heavy on them. And in much wisdom, Paul is simply saying, refuse them to be supported by the church, but allow them and encourage them to get remarried. Having cast off, having, sorry, 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. They're causing trouble. If they get remarried, they're not going to cause this kind of trouble because they'll have stuff to do, right? Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So again, you don't want someone coming off the street, uh, mooching off the church. That's not what it's not what it's for. Okay, the church should support the widows who really need it, and that is a wonderful thing. And that is God's heart. He has a heart for the widows, um, but you don't want somebody who doesn't need to be there. Uh, believers should care for their own. We should care for our own. Uh, that's. That's very simple. And we also should not burden the church if it is not absolutely necessary. And in this case, talking about widows. We are going to wrap up our study this morning right there, and we'll pick up in verse 17 when we meet again. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed.